Amen. Turn out, say hello to someone and then be seated, please. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Didn't we have a great time today in the Lord? And um, we want you tonight uh, to leave here knowing that you've met with God and with His people. Would you invite somebody out this week? We've got services, of course, on Wednesday night at 7.30. And each morning we have from the Shepherd of the Sheep on YouTube and Facebook. You can get hooked up with that, and Tyler will help you to be able to view that every day. Have devotions with us on a daily basis. Uh, we are very thankful for your faithfulness in prayer, prayers and praying for us and remembering us and being loyal during this time. God has taken care of our needs. And so thank you very much for giving. And we have a very special project right now. This is project number nine. Use the envelope with the red writing that says uh, love offering on it. And give to project number nine, which is to put a new roof on a church that's to the south of us. That's a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. But they need to have a roof before the bad weather comes in and destroys their building. And so we want to help them. And this is what we're doing. We want to be a good neighbor. Amen. And so... Tonight I would encourage that as well. Next Sunday is Graduation and Promotion Sunday. And what we will do is in the morning service, we'll give out certificates to those who are being promoted from one grade uh, level. I'm talking about graduating from kindergarten or pre-K, graduating from elementary, graduating uh, from middle school, graduating from high school or from college or postgraduate uh, studies. And we'll do that in the morning service. In the evening service, we're going to have all of our uh, institutes Students from the 15th year, their certificates, and we'll be announcing their names and uh, encouraging uh, more folks to sign up and get involved in our institute program. It's online, and uh, it's really a blessing to so many people here and around the world. Half of our graduates this year, over 50 of them, half of them will be outside our area. So uh, we have a couple hundred that have uh, checked this out this year. Some have stayed with us and have finished or will finish very soon. How many of you have your Bibles tonight? Hold it up. Come on, hold up your Bible. And repeat after me. If you, if, you, if you do mean it, then repeat it out loud. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I have no mistakes in it. I believe it has no mistakes in it. And God helping me, and God helping me, I'm going to try to obey it. I'm going to try to obey it. Amen. All right. Let's take our Bibles. Let's get into them tonight. Wisdom is such an important part of our life. Without wisdom, we, are, may, we may be saved, our soul may be saved, but our behavior will reflect uh, old living. It will reflect what we would have done before we got saved. There are a lot of folks who have been saved by grace through faith, but they're still living like they're lost because they're not operating in the realm of God's wisdom. Book of Proverbs, let's go there. Book of Proverbs chapter 1, we know what it says in verse number 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, what I need and what you need, what every one of God's children needs tonight is to submit, to yield to the direction of God through His Word. We need to be in the Word of God. We can discover the will of God. And I want to encourage you to read the Bible. Read it every day. I want you to meditate on it. Bring up that scripture, as you memorized it or read it in the past, whenever you're facing challenges, bring up the Word of God, meditate on it, and make it the guiding part of your life. Rather than doing what we want to do, rather than doing what we feel like we ought to do, we ought to, we ought to be 
obeying God, following what He says in His Word in every given situation. Write this down. Wisdom is seeing the world through God's eyes. Wisdom is seeing the world through God's eyes. Now, by wisdom, that is, by God's wisdom, we can understand what God wants us to understand of Himself. You say, it's possible to understand God? Yes. Now, God has revealed His attributes in the Bible. We have discovered a number of them. We have studied these. The attributes of God are the characteristics of God. So God is not just somebody whom uh, we imagine, and He's not what we imagine. He is what the Bible says He is. If you say, well, I can't believe in a God like that, you can't, you can't make to order your own God. If you do, that's called idolatry. How many of you realize that? If you try to form God in your own image, that's idolatry. Because we are formed in God's image and we submit to Him, that's a whole different proposition. That's the way it's supposed to be. So we can begin to understand God according to the revelation of the Word of God. What we have in the Word of God helps us to understand God. Wisdom is seeing God as the Word of God presents Him and understanding Him to the degree that He wants us to understand Him. Number two, through the Word of God, we're also able to understand, to interpret His creation. Now, there are people who look at creation without the Word of God, outside of the Word of God, and they get the clue that God's fingerprints, that there is a designer, uh, that His fingerprints are on the creation. But they don't understand Him until they get into the Word. Just creation alone will not lead you to salvation. It might give you light, and you might desire to know God, and then through the Word of God, you can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But the Word of God helps us to put into perspective His creation. Right now, the Bible says that all of creation is groaning. It's groaning. Do you know why it's groaning? Because of sin. Our sin, mankind's sin, has affected not only us in that we have a fallen nature, Adam's nature, and we are condemned unless we get redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved the Bible way. But also, man's sin has caused the whole creation to fall. When I see a beautiful sunrise, sunset, or a beautiful seascape, or a landscape, or a mountainscape, I'm looking at something beautiful, but I'm looking at a fallen creation through fallen eyes. Just think what it will be like when we get to heaven. No more sin nature. No more blurred vision. We'll see things exactly as they were intended to be. Wisdom is seeing and understanding the way God does, what He wants us to know about Himself, what He wants us to know about His creation, our surroundings, our environment. Now, by the way, did you know that going overboard so that as environmentalists become uh, actually not ecologists, but they become worshipers of ecology, worshipers of Mother Earth or whatever, uh, that's, that's way beyond what God intended. God made us custodians of the earth, didn't He? Back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. How many of you have read chapters 1 and 2 of the book Genesis? In that book, we understand that God made Adam and Eve caretakers. They're the stewards of this world. And it's not the other way around. We're not the invaders. We're not the bad guys. Whereas we, we do pollute, 
God has given us the dominion of the entire creation. We are to take care of it and be stewards before God, managers before God. But we don't understand creation like we're supposed to unless we get into the Word of God. There's a great deal in here about the whole world, all the creatures and everything in it. All right, then number three, wisdom is seeing all of this through God's eyes, seeing ourselves. Now, it's hard to know. You can't know other people as well as you know yourself. There are those people who think because they thought something about some other person that that automatically is what makes that person tick. Usually we're wrong. And the reason is because uh, inside this body, the soul and spirit are your own private domain. And unless you just run at the mouth and tell everybody everything you're thinking and feeling, which, by the way, still may fall short of reality, a lot of people will spill out of their mouth just constantly. I mean, just, just run at the mouth about themselves or what they perceive to be about themselves. And guess what? They're not accurate. They're inaccurate. And so they'll, they'll talk about themselves and what they think of themselves and their estimation of themselves, but they're wrong. So you can't even trust that. But you can't know just because you have a suspicion about somebody what's going on inside. Only they and God can know. But they can't know unless they get on the same page with God. You see, if you have an opinion, God has a different opinion. Whose opinion is right? Not yours, not mine. God's opinion is right. What God thinks about us is what truly is. And that's what we're talking about tonight, about understanding ourselves. It has been said, and I think very truly, I am my own biggest enemy. I am my own biggest enemy. How many of you have ever said that, heard that said? How many of you believe that tonight? Usually we're our own biggest enemy. Say, no, I just do what I want to do. Then you're really your own biggest enemy. For example, let, let me give you, let me give you uh, an illustration of this. Now, there's not a person here, uh, unless you have an allergic reaction or, or something has happened in your past, that you're going to wretch when I say Oreo cookies or something of that nature. Think of, think of whatever dessert you would like to have a taste of right now, if you could, if you were allowed to have a taste of it. Right? I want you to think about that. Now, think about this. Think about if you were, if you were tied down to uh, whatever you were sitting on and plate after plate after plate of your favorite dessert was placed in front of you and the gun was held to your head and you were forced to eat everything that's on the plate. Then you would say, I would come to the point that I would be retching. I, I wouldn't be keeping it down anymore. You see? Now there are some people, they don't have to be tied down and they don't have to have a gun to their head. Because they will take a good thing, an otherwise pleasant thing, and they'll overdo it. It's because they have no control over their spirit. They're like a city without walls, the Bible says. They have no self-control. They have no spirit control. I, I can, I, not that I'm going to do that. I'm not going to offer tours. But I could take you to places where there are people in back alleys and up and down and on the streets of of the inner city, and these people are just looking for the next opportunity to, to inject poison into their arm or wherever they can find a vein. I've spoken with prisoners and with criminals, a five-time felon, for example, that uh, had to inject between his toes because there was no vein left that he could inject himself. And these people are addicted 
to poison that they put in their system. I can take you uh, past a hundred places tonight with neon signs that flash, and you can go in there and you can drink poison that was never intended to be in the human body. Uh, there are people that are like the one that I just described with the desserts overdoing and so on. They just poison their system and have no control whatsoever. They don't understand themselves, but they do know this. In their most sober moments, they realize that they are their own biggest enemy. Come on now. Am I telling you the truth? Say amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are, and we are, in many cases, our own biggest enemy. I hope tonight I will help you in some way. I want you to be able to see yourself as God sees you. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. That's what the Scripture says in Psalm 139, verses 1 and 2. How many of you remember, well, we got some teenagers, but uh, you that are adults, how many of you, I want you to think back now to when you were a teenager. All right, think back. Go back a few years, a few decades or longer. All right, go back there. Did you ever have moments of uncertainty? Now, I know most teenagers have times of uncertainty. They don't understand themselves. Now, they'll put on, they'll feign uh, self-confidence. I mean, being brash and bold and loud in some cases and uh, just giving the impression that they've got it all together, they understand themselves. But the truth is, most of the time, as young people, we don't understand ourselves, why we do what we do. But God knows. God understands us. He knows us very well. And tonight, it helps us to know that our Creator understands us. He wants to help us understand ourselves. Just like uh, if you have a problem with your electronic device, whatever it might be, and you look somewhere and you find some paperwork or maybe on the back of the device there's an 800 number and you call that number and you talk to somebody and if you listen real carefully because usually it's overseas but if you talk to somebody they will try to explain to you why your electronic device is not working and the problem with your electronic device most often is not anything that has to do with the device it has to do with the operator it's operator error and that individual, in broken English usually, will try to explain to you. And so now we have a communication problem. But trying to help us to understand how to make it work. We have to understand why we did what we did that was wrong, but we don't totally understand the product itself. We're like that electronic product. There's a song John Peterson wrote. It's in our hymnal. No one understands like Jesus. He's a friend beyond compare. Meet him at the throne of mercy. He is waiting for you there. No one understands like Jesus. When the days are dark and grim, no one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on him. What John Peterson has written is what we would call a recipe, a recipe for understanding ourselves. If we go to God, He's the only one who truly understands us when we don't understand ourselves. He's the only one we can depend on. You say, well, I've been to counselors. Well, God bless 
every biblical counselor. But a Christian has no business going to a counselor, a so-called counselor, who may have degrees, I mean more degrees than a thermometer, but if that counselor doesn't know the basics, that we are a spirit and soul in a body, and that we're going to live, we're going to exist somewhere forever, if he or she does not acknowledge that, why, they don't know the basics that are necessary to counsel us. So why would we go and submit ourselves to a counselor just because he or she has degrees when they don't even know that we are a spirit? So who do you go to? You go to God. You go to God. And we hear from God through the Word of God. That's it. You say, well, I don't know where to go. Anywhere will do. Just start there and read until, bing, if you've got the Spirit of God in you, Something is going to apply. If you're needing comfort, if you're needing guidance and direction, I would suggest you go to the Psalms and just read the Psalms until bing, right? That's the way that works. And, and praying. Pray and say, Lord, open my heart. Speak to me through the Word of God. Ask the author of the book to make clear what he's saying to you in his Word. This is his love letter. To you. This is, the, this is the manufacturer's warranty on you and me. This is what God wants us to get. Now, if you can get a, a concise listing, uh, like the little books, little, little um, uh, books that we give out with topics, and you can look up certain verses for certain topics, that's kind of a, a quick way to get where you're going. But even then, I promise you, if you start in the book of Psalms and then read the book of Proverbs, read those wisdom books. God is going to open your heart and mind to things about yourself. Be honest. We need to hear from God through the Word, through prayer, by being honest, by being transparent, by saying, Lord, I need you. David poured out his complaint. He said, my spirit is overwhelmed. I, I'm just overwhelmed in the real me. I am overwhelmed. And it helps us to know that God created us for his own good pleasure. God created you because he wanted you. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Think about it out there. God created me, God created you because he so loved us. He wanted us. He valued us. That helps us. That helps us when we put ourselves on the same footing that God does. He thinks so much of us. Now I'll go one step further. When we allow our emotions, because remember, I'm spirit, soul, and body. When we allow our emotions to drive us so that we deny what God says about us in His Word, then our emotions are getting in the way of the truth. And if we allow that to happen knowledgeably, intentionally, Guess what? We're sinning against God. Now, don't get all discouraged about that. Just acknowledge that, confess that, and say, I'm not going to allow my feelings to get in the way of what God says in His Word that's true for me. The devil would like to use our emotions. God provides everything that we need. We need to submit to Him. We need to submit to those that God has provided to help us as well. I'm not here on a power trip. I'm here to help. I'm a pastor. Pastor means shepherd. To shepherd the sheep as the under-shepherd to Jesus Christ 
is the highest calling and goal in my life. And in Hebrews chapter 13, it says in verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the, of their conversation. In other words, look at the results. Look at the bottom line of their conduct, of their lifestyle, of their behavior. God has put spiritual guides. For you young people, He's put adults. He's put parents. He's put teachers. He's put coaches. People that are godly in your life. And for those of you that are here as part of the church, God has placed pastors and teachers in the church to help us, to be guides, not to dictate, not to, not to, uh, to uh, treat us uh, in a demeaning fashion, but to help us to see the truth. It says in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, Obey them that have the rule over you, submit yourselves for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. God placed me here not to go on a power trip, but to help you to become, to discover who you are, what God wants you to become, what God wants you to be and do in, uh, in this world, and, uh, and what joy there is in that when you discover the gifts that God has given you to develop and use for His glory. That's it. So God gives us mentors. He gives us spiritual lights and guides in our life. As we listen to the Word, as we pray, as we listen to preaching and teaching, and as we come along in the things of God, then we begin to realize, you know what? When I submit to my raw emotions, what I feel about something or someone or some situation, I am opening myself up to the world, the flesh, and the devil, getting the victory when the Bible says uh, that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. The Bible also says, Therefore be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. There it is. There it is. Do you know that our emotions were built into us by God, but because of our fallen nature, here's what happens. We become prey, P-R-E-Y. We become prey for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our emotions were built into us so that in concert with our spirit, yielded to His spirit, we could be drawn closer to the Lord. Are you listening to me? When the preacher preaches and teaches and it rings true and the Holy Spirit saying amen, amen inside of us, our emotions when they're yielded to God are supposed to draw us closer to God. And maybe with a tear or maybe with a lump in our throat, we walk down the aisle and it's not just emotional, but it's part of the whole package that has been yielded to God. There's nothing wrong with that. I've been in some places that, was so, that were so emotionally dead. I mean, so cold you had to ice skate down the aisle, literally. It was just that cold. And people were just that hard, like plowing concrete for the preacher. But I've been in some places that were so lively, people were prepped when they came in, and they had read their Bible, and they were all excited about what God was going to say to them through the preaching of the Word of God. Now that's the way it ought to be. Come on. Amen. 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 Our emotional needs were designed by God to draw us to Him. But sin has complicated this whole design, thrown a wrench into it. That's what Paul was talking about. You know, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 8, tremendous chapter, tremendous doctrine, tremendous practice of our faith. But Romans chapter 7, that's the monkey wrench in the whole thing. 
What kind of sinners are we? And how what we want to do, we, won't, we don't do. And what we don't want to do, we end up doing. Have you read that before? 7.15 on down? Absolutely. Sin takes our God-given emotions and longings and desires and twists them into self-serving manipulation. It is wrong to let somebody manipulate you. It is wrong to let somebody intimidate you. It is more wrong to let your own old nature manipulate you. To let your own sinful nature intimidate you. Think about that. It blinds us to the true source of satisfaction, which is a relationship, an intimate relationship with the person of the second, uh, the second person, the second uh, member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son. I look at Hebrews chapter 4, and I realize immediately that there is a solution presented here. And when there's a solution, you know there must be a problem because God doesn't make up needless solutions. The solution that we have in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 is the Word of God is quick. That means alive, like the quick of your fingernails. If you cut your fingernails too short or you crack them or break them, and it gets down into the living part, the quick, it hurts. All right? You know it's alive. The Word of God is quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So there you have it. The Word of God is like a sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of, look at it, soul and spirit. Spirit makes us God conscious when they're given together. Soul, of course, is our personality, our emotions. Sometimes... We can't even tell in ourselves if it's God or our emotions until we get into the Word of God and the Holy Spirit says, this is emotional, this is spiritual. We can tell the difference then. Do you understand what I'm saying? Being able to divide the two. There are some people who just blur the lines and they've got a problem all the time. But that's it. Dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There it is. So that we can bring some balance to our life. Praise God for that. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now here's what happens when we have some natural, legitimate uh, experiences and the world, the flesh, and the devil want to hijack them. I'm, I'm glad we got out and back on the plane this week. There was no hijacker. And no attempt to hijack the plane. To hijack a plane is a horrible experience. You know, somebody trying to forcibly take the plane to a different destination. Well, guess what? The world, the flesh, and the devil are spiritual hijackers. They're going to try to hijack your life and take something that would be otherwise legitimate, that should be yielded to God, and force you or, or uh, perhaps uh, get you, tempt you to do otherwise. Let me give you the natural. We want to be loved. Now, true or false, is there anything wrong with wanting to be loved? Nothing is wrong with wanting to be loved. But what does the world, the flesh, and the devil do? Here it is. This is a sinfully flawed strategy. We want to be loved, so what do we do that's wrong? We try to live up to the expectations of others. Admittedly, we don't want to cause people to stumble. Uh, admittedly, we don't want to, uh, to give the appearance of evil. We understand that. Having said that, is 
Does your life, are you motivated by just trying to live up to the expectations of others? If you are, you're going to fall short. You're going to be disappointed. And then something negative is going to come from that. No, when we want to be loved, we should go to the source of love. Go to the Lord. God is love. Rather than trying to live up to the expectations of others. How should we achieve? We should achieve by saying, Lord, I'm placing my whole life in your hands. There's a song that was a poem, and I've memorized it and used it so often in the pulpit. One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And then it goes on to say that God couldn't put anything in my hands until they were empty. That's it. I can't come to God and say, these are my conditions, sign here. It's got to be empty-handed. I come to God and say, Lord, here I am. Flawed as I am, you know my history. Now, I'm not going to waste your time, God, because you know me better than I know myself. I'm not going to put myself down and tell you all the reasons why you can't use me. Instead, Lord, because you're God, you can do anything. I'm going to bring myself to you. I want you to, to do what I can't do. I can't fix myself up. I can't make myself acceptable. I'm coming to you, Lord. I want you to take me. And Lord, by the way, I don't feel loved. Would you wrap your arms around me? Would you reassure me, not only that you love me, but that you are love? God is love. Let me give you another flawed strategy. We want to be acknowledged. Now, I realize that sometimes people, when they go into a strange situation, they try to be invisible. It's impossible, isn't it? We can't be invisible. But in most situations, we want to be acknowledged, especially in us, we want to be recognized in terms of the truth. I don't want people to think more of me than I actually am. I want them to think of me as I am. Uh, I want people to, to, to see me in transparency, to see me as I actually am. That means to be acknowledged. Put it down. It's very important. We want to be loved. We want to be acknowledged. That's important. So what is the flawed strategy that the world, the flesh, and the devil together do? Here it is. We engage in attention-getting behavior. We engage in some outlandish type of behavior to get attention. Now, that's what an infant, a toddler, a young child will do. That's what a school-aged child will do. That's what a, what a middle school or a high school student might do just to get everybody's attention. Class clown. Class clown. And... You get attention, but it's usually in the form of go to the office. So instead of that, what should we do? It's legitimate that we acknowledged. So what should we do? Go to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. I'm talking about coming to the Lord. I'm talking about being intimate with the Lord. That's it. The strategy of trying to gain attention in the fleshly realm is absolutely wrong. You're playing into the hands of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Number three, here's, here's a legitimate thing. We want to be valued. And we have value. We're not an accident. We were born with purpose. God knows us. He brought us into this world. We're not an accident. Now your emotions will tell you otherwise. There's no use for me. I just don't have any purpose. So because we don't feel like we've received our due, do you know what the world, the flesh, and the devil does as a flawed strategy? By the way, if you're seeing yourself tonight, it's not that I've been listening in. It's just that human nature is pretty common across the board. 
I've counseled hundreds and more people over the years, and I've seen this. We want to be valued. So to do this, here's what we do that's wrong. We try to devalue those around us. And if we devalue them, people perhaps have done that to you. They think that that raises their own value, their own worth, their own stock. I got news for you. It doesn't. Because the only one who really knows what we're worth is the one who is willing to go to a cross and die for us. The only one that really understands us is Jesus Christ. The only one who really knows our value is the one who paid the price of His blood for our redemption. Number four, we want to be needed. There is inside of all of us, it may be very small, but there is a need to be needed. A need to be needed. So what does the world, the flesh, and the devil do? To, uh, in, a, in a flawed strategy, to deal with this want to be needed. Well, let's impress everybody <laughs> with how indispensable we are. And what people, you, you get workaholism, for example. You get one person who volunteers for 14 jobs in the church or the committee or at work. You know those kind of people. They're out to impress. You've seen them in the military, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about. That's, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there. We want to be needed, so we, we create so much need that we are indispensable. I'm glad for first the youth pastor, then later on I heard this from a num number of others who illustrated our need this way. He said, go out, get, a, get a, a, a bucket and fill it up with water. And then take it someplace in the sunlight and put your fist in the water. And take your fist out and the size of the hole that's left will indicate how indispensable you are. Well, guess what? All the water just flows back. God chooses to need us, to want us, to love us, to acknowledge us, to value us. God does that because of who He is. We need to go to Him, not try to impress everybody or make our human organization dependent upon us. Number five, we want to be safe. Boy, this last year and a half, People have been concerned about their safety, their security. And you know what? There's been one who has been watching over us the whole time. And whether we were well or whether we were sick, whether we were happy uh, and, and everything was, the sun was shining, the birds were singing or not, God was still in charge. And He is today, this very moment. But what do we do? We, we, try, <laughs> we try to eradicate every bad thing that could possibly happen to us. There are people like that. They don't want anything bad to happen to their kids or to their loved ones or to themselves. And so they are fearful to go out. They're fearful to, to walk. They're fearful to drive. They're fearful to be in a house. They're fearful to be outside. They're fearful to be in heights. They're fearful to be in depths. They're fearful to be over the water. They're fear, fearful to be in a plane. They're fearful about anything and everything. They're fearful about uh, relationships. They're fearful about being close to So they're just afraid. They try to eradicate everything that presents a phobia or uh, perhaps a, a risk or a challenge to them. The things that challenge us, that might be called dangerous in some cases, or risky, not that we intentionally put ourselves in harm's way, it is impossible for us to live out our life a normal span and not be at risk at times. It is impossible for us not to be in a place where we, we could be hurt or killed. 
It's impossible for us to always be out of harm. Now, as much as we want to reduce the risk and the danger, sometimes those things that happen to us are permitted or we're permitted to go through them unscathed, and this hones us, and this improves us, and it grows our faith. And we are more and more convinced that there is a God. He is the God of the Bible. He loves us, and what He did for us through Calvary and the empty tomb is absolutely true, and that is the recipe right there. We need to keep coming back to God. Keep coming back to God. Keep coming back to God. We came to Him initially to be saved. We were drawn by the Spirit. We came to Him through Christ. We got saved. Now, do we never come to Him again? No, we come to Him in prayer. We come to Him in dependence. We come to Him and we say, all my worldly strategies, all these things of the world, the flesh, and the devil, designed to compensate, are not in your perfect will. And ultimately, they will leave us emotionally drained. And we will be a shell. Now, don't indicate outwardly. Have you ever been there, a shell, drained? Because you were trying to compensate for all these legitimate desires and needs. But you were going about it with the aid of the world and the devil and your flesh. Those strategies don't work. There are some people right now running on empty emotionally because everything they have tried to do to compensate has just drained the tank, drained the tank, drained the tank. They say, I just don't understand it. I don't understand why I don't have satisfaction and why I don't have good things happening in my life. When we sang as we began tonight, Rescue the Perishing, we sang that verse that says, Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, that's the devil. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. What do you need? You need a grace restoration. You need, you need your life to be repaired by grace. Touched by a loving heart, that's God's heart. Wakened by kindness, that's God's kindness. Cords that were broken will vibrate once more. This does not mean that life is going to be easy. It just means that life is going to become spiritually balanced. We are spirit, soul, and body. It's time we got things balanced. If we want God to take our life and to use it as we were intended, we need to get on the same page with God and understand as He understands us. Resting in His unchanging, unalterable uh, goodness, His grace, gives us that sense that allows us then to live successfully. And what did I say this morning? Zig Ziglar had it right. We start out as survivors, just hanging by our nails. But we get into the Word. We hear good preaching. We determine we're not going to get away from the book. And God begins to do a work of grace. And guess what? One morning, some days, weeks, or months later, we wake up and we've gone from stage one, which is survival, to stability. And now our life has order and balance and we may fall back occasionally, but we're living in the Word, and now we're reading it, and we're growing, and we're in church, and God is building us up in the faith. Praise God, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we wake up one morning, some weeks or months or years later, and we've gone from stability to success. And that's not to get the big head, but to say, 
Wow, it's successful now. It's working. My life is actually working. It's actually functioning. But it's not the end. From survival to stability to success, and we're in the Word, we're in the Word, we're in the Word, and all of a sudden, we wake up one day, and there we are in stage four, which is significance. Significance is touching the lives of other people so that they look at us and they say, oh, that's how faith works. That's how the grace of God ministers. That's how the Word of God becomes real and takes form. That's how answers are gotten and how other people can be helped. And they want to become as we have become. Not because we are so good, but because God is good all the time. That's God's plan. That's what He always intended. He never intended for people just to be saved and go to heaven that way. You will, and so will I. Survivors that are saved will go to heaven. Stable people that are saved will go to heaven. Successful people that are saved will go to heaven. Significant people that are saved will go to heaven. And the converse is true. People that are not saved in the categories will go to hell. It's important. It's all important. that We allow the Lord to build us up. And that we no longer rely upon our own strategies. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you know that person. I've described that person, and you're familiar either with yourself or with someone else that way. God helping us. Let's allow Him to reveal who we are to ourselves so that we can be that person of significance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. How many tonight would say, Preacher, something in the Word of God spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Amen. Amen. That's good. I trust now, as we go to prayer in a moment, that some of you may come down to the front, have a word of prayer, and say, Lord, I need you in my life to help me so that I can be that person of significance and stop manipulating and intimidating myself and operating in the emotional realm, which will just drain itself instead of being what God intended our emotions to be to draw us closer to himself. With heads bowed and eyes closed, do you know for sure that heaven is your home? Have you received Christ as your Savior? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.
Thank you, Carissa.